Hello and welcome to Property Money Trees, Maximising Property Values, the once a month show where I break down the steps of how to recognise, enhance and then extract the values in property in order to create wealth. Would you like to find out how you can benefit from the steps of maximising property values? This is even if you don't own a property yet or have a deposit. If that's a yes, then you're in the right place to find out. My name is Patricia Ogunfaber, and although many know me for my work as a solicitor, on this show, you will be getting the benefit of my 30 plus years worth of experience of maximising property values, experience which has given me a net worth in millions. So who might benefit from listening to this show? Literally anyone with an interest in creating property wealth. Welcome back. This month, I'm going to go back to basics. Now, people who've listened to these podcasts will remember that I keep saying that they are relevant to everybody. You know, whether or not people have their own property, whether or not they've got enough money for a deposit, for people who are already on their journey, for people who've got money and are looking to buy, literally everyone. And even people who are not perhaps even old enough to be involved in property at the moment, but have an aspiration to do so once they're old enough and want to get themselves educated literally everyone who's interested in property, who wants to make money from property, because at the end of the day, maximising property values is all about creating wealth and financial freedom. So I have heard you, I've heard all of you, (laughs) thank you very much and As I promised, I'm now doing this episode for people without enough money to pay a deposit and people who don't have any properties just yet. There are a few ways in which people who are in this position can start to do things that will help them create wealth and financial freedom. And I'm going to try and go through them one by one. So I'm going to start with deal sourcing. Then I'll go to rent to rent. Then I'll go to using your skills, partnering up with someone, as I hinted at um, in episode one of this podcast series. Everyone has something to offer. Everyone who is listening to this definitely has something to offer because you're not one of these people who is doing nothing about their future. You are out there, you are looking for solutions, you are looking for ways where you can also begin to create wealth, where you can start to get financial freedom. So the first thing which I say you perhaps want to ask yourself is this, how much do you need every year. If you're just starting out and you don't have a deposit, one of the most important things to you is going to be paying your bills. How much income will you need every year in order to become financially free? You see, once you work this out, 
the path ahead will become so much clearer. So let's start. Options. You can deal source. You can do a rent to rent and you can use your skills. What is deal sourcing? So this is exactly why I've not gone into this in any detail until now, because if you've listened to the previous episodes, you'll begin to get an idea as to how you can get these properties, killer properties. Those are the ones that you want because anything else is really not going to make you money. It's not going to put money in your pocket. You know, getting the killer properties and you then know what you're going to do to enhance these properties. So in my workshops, I break them down into four separate and standalone areas you know the first is how you actually find these killer properties so what you do what you have to do how you do it that's part one and that is usually the first Saturday of the month in which the workshops are running they don't run every month they are on Eventbrite under maximizing property values the second Saturday is all about enhance but it's the enhance that you need to know about before you make an offer. It's the enhance that confirms to you that you are definitely looking at a killer property. The third Saturday is again about enhance but it's about the enhancements that you introduce once you own the property or once the property has been acquired. So they're two different things altogether. So that really has to do with interior design and staging. It's about how you get the best in terms of money out of that property. And the last um, Saturday, the fourth Saturday, is about the things that you must avoid. These are the value killers. So once you have all of that knowledge, you can start to put together amazing deals for other investors to buy. How much can you sell a deal for if you've got a killer property and you know exactly what you're doing, you know what you need to do to enhance both before and after ownership and you know the things that you must avoid in order to make sure that that deal stacks up. How much can you charge for those kind of deals? Now I before I have only ever paid someone for a deal once but guess how much I paid? £20,000 and boy was it worth it. Oh it was. It was a house that I bought for £470,000. I spent about £122,000 on the house to turn it into a six um, room, six ensuite HMO when um, it was revalued because it was a BRRR as well as being an HMO because you can combine these strategies. You have to do what works best for you. So when I um, refinanced, it was valued at eight hundred thousand pounds. I took out um, an HMO mortgage with um, a 75% loan to value. Six hundred thousand pounds is what the mortgage is 
on that property today. All of my money came out of that property. So why would I not pay £20,000 for it? But as soon as it was brought to me, it wasn't even packaged. It was a phone call. This house is going. I did about 10 minutes worth of research. I knew I was in. Got it. Boom. But that is only because I was experienced enough to be able to do that. If you are selling it to somebody who is not very experienced, you will need to package the deal. You'll need to tell what they, you know, tell them what all their costs are, what their likely refurbishment costs are, how much they're likely to get at the end of the project and so on and so forth. So with all of my money out of that particular house, it is still bringing in close to £2,500 every single month. That is one house. The only voids it had was during the period where, um, in the first lockdown, where we were not allowed to um, have viewings and things in such properties. What do you do? It literally is a house that has no voids. Amazing. And yeah, bringing in over £2,000 a month. Now, what return on investment is that? You know, somebody work it out for me, please. Return on investment. There's no longer any investment of mine in that property and it is still yielding. Is that what you call, oh, I don't know what the word would be. That would be, it's it's more than, you know, whatever, what, a million percent return on investment? Because there's no investment in there. Okay, fine, my time. How much was, is my time worth? But then because I actually took out more than I put in, <laughs> I think I've already been paid for my time. Anyway, so that that those are the kind of things people will pay good money for a killer property. But let's forget the £20,000 deals. What about the £10,000 deals? What about the £5,000 deals? What about the £3,000 deals? What about the £2,000 deals? What about the £1,000 deals? You know, these are things that people can easily do. If you find these £1,000 deals, you know, for people who have the money to buy, but not the time to go out and find the killer properties, you can you can offer them these and a lot of people go into deal sourcing and they spread their net very very wide if i was going to go into deal sourcing i wouldn't be doing that i would be targeting a few people that i know buy all the time i'd sit down with them I'd ask them what their requirements are, what sort of things they want. Just have maybe five to 10 people on that list. You don't, personally, I would not be looking for thousands of people, no. I'd be looking for five to 10 committed people. I would then, with each deal that I found, I'd be going to them one by one, perhaps based on, who might be looking to buy right now versus somebody who's looking to buy in three months time or even six months time. And I'd go through them like that until somebody said yes. Now, if they then didn't say yes, if none of them said yes, then perhaps I'd open it up to other deal sources on a fee 
sharing bases. But if one of your five to 10 buys from you and they see that you've done a good job, you've got a client for life. You could then build up a much smaller group whereby they pay you a monthly retainer to get first dibs on your deals. So there are so many ways in which you can do this. You know, talk to other deal sourcers, talk to them about the possibilities of co-sourcing, of co-offering. So if you can't get rid of your deals, you take the deals to them. But again, you need to have an, an agreement whereby they're not going to be offering to, you know, people in your group. Or maybe you just tell the people in your group that, you know, once they say no, it may come back to them via another deal sourcer. But whilst it's with you, they have exclusive rights. Those are the kind of things that would appeal to me if a deal sourcer wanted to get my business. Think about that. Think about how you can do that, how you position yourself in the market. Now, if you're going to be a deal sourcer, you need to be compliant. You need to be working legally, lawfully and ethically. So how do you do that? First of all, and I think this is the most important one of the requirements, you need to be registered with HMRC, that's HM Revenues and Customs, for money laundry purposes. Because by deal sourcing, you fall under the estate agency legislation. So you need to be registered with HMRC for money laundering purposes. You then need to join an ombudsman scheme. You know, you've got a choice. You've got the ombudsman, you've got the property ombudsman, and you've got the property redress scheme. Any one of those will do. Register with them. The purpose of doing this is if someone's not happy with the advice that you've given or the service that you've provided and they're not happy with the solution that you've offered to them once they've complained to you, they can then go to the ombudsman and that will be an impartial, objective person who will say either yes, what you've done was wrong and you need to make it good by doing A, B and C or what you did was absolutely fine, no problems, end of matter. You need to be insured. Insurance wise, there are two types of insurance that you need, professional indemnity insurance and public liability insurance. So get those. You can get a package of those. There are insurance companies out there that cater to deal sources. You know, get one of those, a few hundred pounds every year and you are protected. This insurance will protect you if you um, get sued by someone. And, you know, there are people out there who will sue you if they're not happy with things. But if you are deal sourcing properly, there's no reason why they should be unhappy with you because you would have found a killer property that is making them money. You know, go back over the previous episodes in this series, find out what you can do. Offer something that has a lot of monetary value in it. And if that's the case, why would anyone be 
unhappy with you. Then you need to also register with the Information Commissioner's Office for ICO, for data protection purposes. Once you've done all of these things, you will be compliant. But there's another thing that I would advise, and and it's this, it's very simple. If you're going into deal sourcing, go into it as a business. Form a company to do it in. It doesn't matter how you trade. You could be a sole trader. You could be trading in a partnership, which is like two or more people who are in business together with a view to making a profit. Or you could use a company. It honestly doesn't matter how you do it. But the people that you're dealing with will probably treat you more seriously if you have a limited liability company. So for that reason, I would advise that. So that is deal sourcing. Now, obviously, when you're packaging your deal, you need to be you need to talk about the possible value uplifts. You need to talk about the different strategies that your deal will work um, for. You know, is it going to be a BRRR? You know, like the example that I gave earlier, I knew that I'd get my money out of that deal. You present that to any serious investor, they will bite your hand off, literally. Is it somebody who wants to flip? Again, in the example that I gave, could I have flipped it for £800,000, you know, within eight months of buying it? Possibly, possibly not. But I reckon I could have still flipped it for a lot of money. Now, considering that I no longer have any money in that deal, you know, present that to somebody who's looking for income. Again, boom, they will take it off your hands. You know, return on investment. How do you present that? So let me talk about another property that I, um, I think that would have been in episode five, which was a small flat, which, and the figures actually in episode five are incorrect because I, spoke about the valuation coming back at 525,000. Oopsie, no, not 525,000, 575,000. Because in my workshops, when I was preparing, you know, to kind of like work out the figures and, you know, give them figures, I thought, let me go back to the um, valuation report that I got from the um, lender and use their figures as opposed to the figures in my head. £575,000 for a property that I bought six months earlier for £350,000, spent about £40,000 on it. Boom. Look at that uplift. So in terms of the money that I put in before I refinanced, because that was another BRRR, which is buy, refurbish, rent, refinance. The initial return on investment was 123 plus percent. 123. Yep, that was the value uplift. Then when I took the money that I took out, I had £32,800 left in the property. And the reason why it was left there was because even though I was maxing out on the rents, the rent coverage didn't didn't go to a full 75% loan to value at 
the £575,000. Oopsie, no, it didn't, sadly. But not a big deal because I've only got 32,800 left in that property. So if you look at what the value has increased by and then you factor in the 32.8 that I have left in that property, the return on my investment, were I to sell it today for £575,000, considering that my investment in that property is £32,000, I would have a return on investment of more than 560%. Offer that to any serious investor, even using those steps. You know, as a deal sourcer, you can do this. You can have multiple exits and that will help you even more in getting a serious investor's attention. You could say, you know, if you buy this, you can BRRR it. And then maybe after a year, you can flip it. After a year, you can do this with it. You can do that with it. You know, so you've got exit A, which is refinance. You've got exit B, which is flip. Their preferred exit might be a flip. It doesn't matter. You could even present them with an, with an HMO exit as well. So it could be if you buy it, turn it into an HMO. These are the sort of yields that you can expect to have. Um, This is the sort of money that you should expect to put into it. This will be your return on investment. But once you've started letting it out, you can refinance it. And this is the sort of money that you can expect to have left in the deal, if any. And then your return on investment will become this then you could present yet a third option, which is, and then maybe after two years, you might decide to sell it to somebody else. And these are the sort of figures that you might be looking at then. You know, put your deal together properly. You know, do your due diligence, back up whatever you say with numbers. You know, research the area, give them, you know, an overview of the area of the property, you know, what the demographics are, how things are selling in that area. Do all of that. Present it well. They will bite your hand off. Now, I'm actually quite sorry, but this podcast has gone on for long enough and I think I'm going to have to do the other ones, which is like rent to rent and how you can partner up with somebody in a future episode. So I am so sorry, I had actually aimed to do all of them together, but looking at how much um, time I've already spent, no, um, I'm not going to talk any further about this. I am so sorry, but, you know, do definitely come back, you know, next month and I will delve into Rent to Rent and I will also explain what Article 4 means for HMO purposes. That will be in the rent to rent one. And um, yes, so um, do definitely come back. Would love to have you back, you know. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, if it's been of any value to you, if it's inspired you, which I hope it has, then please do leave a review for me on the Apple um, platform um, because they do take reviews. 
lots of people do DM me and tell me how absolutely useful they are finding the podcasts. Um, But, you know, reviews are also really, really welcome. Thank you very much. And hopefully see you next month.